Hello and welcome to another episode of the Authentic Path Podcast. This is episode number nine, and this is your host, Phelan Sugarman-Lash. On this episode, I interviewed Jude Martinez, who is the founder of In Her Shoes, which is a nonprofit that helps women be 1% more courageous every day. So she runs workshops all around the country and the world. And honestly, this episode was one of my favorite episodes that I've recorded. And honestly, I just finished editing it and I learned so, so, so much from Jude. I'm just going to go back and listen to this episode again and again because... It was really just that good, and I hope you enjoy it a lot because I really, really did, and I got a lot from it. We cover everything from how to be a person of integrity to starting your own business to being more courageous and what fear looks like in our lives and how we can overcome fearfulness, and she's just really an amazing person, so I hope you get a lot from this just like I did. So without further ado, enjoy episode number nine of the Authentic Path Podcast. Three, two, one, zero, on the podcast. It's super exciting to have you on here and I'm really looking forward to our conversation. So to get started, I just want to hear a general overview of your journey to get where you are and then more about what you're doing now. Yeah. Um, general overview. So where do I even begin? I am the founder and CEO of Inner Shoes and we're a 501c3 nonprofit that's headquartered in Los Angeles. And we have six chapters here in the United States and three chapters overseas. And really just the general journey of how it got here. I mean, if there's one thing I could say about it is it was absolutely not linear. Um, I thought that I was going to be this like cool hoity-toity corporate lawyer um, going to my dream law school in DC. And that was kind of like my plan, the plan. And I don't know, a funny thing happens, I think, sometimes when you finally get this thing that you've always said you wanted, only to realize it has absolutely nothing to do with, one, what you're passionate about, and two, what you actually want to do as a career um, in the world. And so that was my story. I don't think it's particularly unique to me. I think a lot of people can resonate to that. But yeah, I'm a first-generation Filipino-American, so I grew up with this concept of success looking like a cookie-cutter life, and that cookie-cutter life involved being a lawyer. And so I did everything, quote unquote, right, you know, got fortunate enough to go to the right schools, made sure I took the right classes, made the right friends, did the right extracurricular activities to get this coveted um, yes that I felt like I was chasing my whole life. And that for me was law school. And so, yeah, I ended up declining my law school acceptance. And five years later, here we are. Wow, cool. How did you go about the process of declining law school and and getting out of the mindset that you had to have this perfect cookie cutter life? Oh, um, that's a great question. I think for one, I think it was definitely gaining the gumption and like the wherewithal to even one, be willing to actually reflect on, is this what I really want? I think sometimes for me growing up, I was programmed to believe that questioning what should be is like taboo. Like you just don't do that. You should just follow the yellow brick road. Why would you question a system that should work? And for me, that system was, you know, X, Y, Z equals a dream life. And so I think the first step was actually having the guts to ask myself, is this really what you want? Um, and if it's not what you want, what are we going to do about this? So part of that process then looked like, okay, in realizing that I don't want to do this, um, what's my next move here? And that for me was declining law school um, for other people that could look like something else. But I, and in full transparency, I straight up lied to everyone in my life. When, when I did that, I 
I was so afraid and terrified of what people were going to say, especially my family, that I didn't tell anyone what I was doing. I also felt like a huge fraud at the same time, like this imposter that was walking around. Um, and I think part of that process of getting out of the mentality was really learning. It didn't happen overnight. Like I think it, it's it's a lifelong journey that you take with yourself, but it was a process of getting out of a mindset that perfection is real and that like my version of perfection is, you know, part of this cookie cutter life. Like it had to look a certain way. And I think that takes a lot of, I think a lot of the most genuine learning to be done in life is actually unlearning a lot of things. That's actually not accruing more knowledge. Um, That's super smart. Yeah. I yeah. I, I think it, it actually don't serve you. So. Yeah. Um, and then in terms of you and your family and you lying to everyone, um, that is super interesting. And I think that so often in the world we compare ourselves or like do things because we think other people will look at us a certain way. And part of like, the journey of walking one's authentic path is kind of releasing those expectations that we will do what other people expect from us and just choose to do what we actually want and fill our lives with what we actually want. Um, so it's great that you have done that. Uh, how did you kind of go about like those conversations with your family once you had figured out what you were going to do and what you actually wanted to do? And how did you kind of go back on that lie and then move forward and progress with everyone? Oh, Valen, Valen. Uh, <laughs> where do I even begin? Um, how did I go about those conversations? You know, to be honest, it wasn't cute. It wasn't sexy. It was definitely very awkward. Um, I think the first step was, you know, again, having the wherewithal and like just a moment. And in my opinion, I think there are moments where yes, you can know when you're ready. Like, I think we hear that a lot, like, you'll know when you're ready. But I think there are other moments where it's just like, you just have to do it. Like, you can be afraid and do it anyways. Sometimes you're going to have to do that. And that was the case for me where I was terrified. I, if I could live the rest of my life under the guise of being this lawyer to my family, I would have. Um, but then Thanksgiving would have been incredibly awkward. And so, um, yeah, it looked like sitting down with them. And honestly, I, I started it off by sharing how much they meant to me. Cause I realized at the end of Tactical. the day, yeah, <laughs> that's one way of putting it <laughs> that, that in a strategic mindset, that is one way of putting it. But I realized for me, like, you know, in reflection, again, this is a process. So I don't want anyone to think this was done like overnight or in a week. Um, but in reflecting and for myself realizing, okay, like mom and dad are obviously going to be pissed about this, but I want to assume that they really just want me to be happy. And at the end of the day, don't we all want that? Like we all want people that we love to be happy. Who doesn't want that? Um, so I started off by sharing who they are for me and you know, addressing the things that I was really afraid of. Like I was scared that they were gonna think I was this ungrateful child, right? That they emigrated to America for. So all of these things that I felt like was keeping me from saying my truth, I actually just put it out there first. And I was like, look, I'm scared of X, Y, and Z. I feel like you're going to think that I'm a failure. And then I shared with them, you know, I'm, I'm choosing to not go to law school and it's not because I want to make you upset, but it's because I actually, I'm not going to be happy. I don't want to do that. Um, so yeah, that's what opened the door. Nice. I think that's a really, really smart and simple way of going about it. I have this conversation a lot with people in my own life about how to talk to our parents and 
get over those expectations that our parents have for us because I think those really hold us hostage to live lives that we don't really want. And it's not done maliciously by our parents. It's just like they have, they want us to be happy and they have their own ideas about what that looks like. And so escaping those and, and being oneself and being happy in one's own life is really powerful. But that requires having these conversations with our parents. So I think the way that you went about it is is really smart and a lot of people could learn from that. Um, it made me think of the motto of your company, which is uh, what would you do if you were 1% more courageous? And I feel like I wanted to ask you about how that came to you and that idea came to you. And then it sounds like this could have been part of it. Uh, and then how you came to apply that to In Her Shoes. Yeah, for sure. You know, I think landing on that question, I mean, it's not like I had one moment and it was like perfectly, you know, written out in my mind. But I do recall when I got um, my acceptance letter, I was so afraid and terrified. And one of the things that kind of came across my mind is, I wish, like, I wish I could do something else. Like that was just something that kept coming up in my mind. And I think, you know, when I really teased out that feeling and, and looked inward more, you know, for lack of a better word, it was really just this fear of like, well, why wouldn't you? Like, what's really stopping you? Like, is there really a physical barrier that's stopping you from doing something else? Not really. Um, and so I think, as I delved deeper into what is this thing that's stopping me, 100% of the time, it was always because I was afraid. And I think that was the recurring theme that I found particularly in my own life of like a pattern of either being pushed forward because I was afraid or pushing myself back because I was afraid. Like fear just played a huge role in my life. And so eventually as I kind of worked through these like different conversations um, with myself, it turned into, well, what if I was just not so afraid. And then that fused into if I was just 1% more willing, right? Then willing kind of snuck in there. And then we landed on if you were 1% more courageous, because I think I've always resonated more with courage than bravery, because I think courage acknowledges that there is fear. Like your golden ticket into being courageous is being afraid. Like we can't support you unless you're afraid of something. And I mm. think that that for me is was really resonant because it, it really acknowledges and even celebrates humanity. Like we're not trying to, to mind wash you into, into thinking you're going to be this hundred percent superhuman, never afraid ever again. Um, so yeah. And I think that ties into inner shoes by again, celebrating and highlighting the moments of being afraid and how they're actually launch pads for an amazing life that's ahead of you that you may not even be aware of. Yeah, that's beautiful. I super agree with that. The other day I had this realization where I realized that fear and excitement are the same energy. It's just like manifesting in two different ways. But if you are afraid about something, it means that you're excited about that same thing. And just transforming that fear into excitement and powerful forward momentum is really, really a cool experiment. And I think being aware enough of your own emotional state to watch yourself see that fear and then be like, oh, what if this weren't fear? What if it were excitement? Or how can I take this fear through courage and transform it into something productive? So yeah, beautifully said. Um, and then in terms of just getting a little bit more into in her shoes, what does that actually look like for you on a daily basis? And then how are you inspiring women to be more courageous? Like what kind of workshops are you doing and what does that look like for, for that? Yeah, well, in the world pre-COVID-19, <laughs> the day-to-day -day yeah. definitely looked um, 
Gosh, it looked like going to campus visits, ton of meetings, uh, lots of partnerships um, in terms of like activations, working around our different flagship events, you know, making sure that the day-to-day of what Inner Shoes programs and our impact was fully functioning and working. And now it's it's been an interesting time to, to pivot, right? And take all of those things online digitally. And so a lot of the programs that we do now are still around capacity building, which is a huge thing for us. So building up your capacity to be courageous in your life. Um, and then also too, I think part of the... Um, Part of the impact of building up your capacity to be courageous is an, an, an entire array of how that spills over into the way that you lead, into the way that you communicate, the way that you view yourself and your community, and ultimately your own purpose. I think a big thing for us in our programs is how do you find something that you're passionate about and have it intersect with what the world needs? And so, um, and can you actually make a career out of that, right? I feel like that's that's this like, big question mark for a lot of young people and just people in general. So um, our workshops will take place with a lot of our high school students. So we work, again, mostly with young women and women in general, but we've noticed that a big part of our community are actually women who are in a space of transition. And so what I mean by that is they're navigating change in their life. So whether that's transitioning from high school to college, college and navigating your first career and what that even looks like, all the way up to one of our oldest participants is like 77 years old. And for her, I remember specifically, she expressed to us at one of our programs, society tells me that I should be retired, but I'm nowhere near that. And I want to start my second career. And so she's navigating what does life look like after being this, you know, quote unquote, retired citizen that already did her job. Right. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, So yeah, that's what our programs look like. Nice. I want to dig into capacity. What do you mean by the capacity to be more courageous and how would you go about building that up? Yeah, great question, Phelan. Um, So when I think about capacity and capacity building, um, at least within the context of inner shoes, how we relate to it is like going to the gym. So courage for us is like a muscle. So if you go to the gym and you exercise a certain muscle, it's going to grow. Granted, the prerequisite of growth is it will also tear right? So in capacity building, at least um, when it comes to being 1% more courageous or building up these capacities or skill sets that aren't necessarily tangible or tactical, right? They are soft skills, whether it's the way you communicate, again, being able to be self-aware around who you are and what it is that you're experiencing. Um, Building up capacity means and looks like starting with that level of self-awareness and being able to identify that it is a process to build that up in your life. And there are different ways and avenues to go about doing that, but that's how we define it, at least at Inner Shoes. Cool. So what kind of tools do you use on for, for women and to increase that capacity? Like, do you teach meditation? Do you teach journaling or like active group reflection? What kind of things do you give to the people who come to you guys to actually help them with that? Yeah, that's a great question. So it really, um, it varies. Again, it depends on like the age group that we're working with or what life stage that you're even on. Um, you know, obviously the young mothers that we're supporting navigating their first child is going to be a bit different than high school students that are trying to get into college just a little. Um, and so, yeah, to your point, We do different things like a lot of reflection prompts. We do a lot of things around active listening, either um, with a partner or with yourself. We do a lot of um, paired paired shared exercises. And what that means is you get partnered up with someone 
that you get to walk through these different exercises with. You get partnered with a mentor, for example, that's from the inner shoes community. So it's a combination of different prompts, physical, actual like exercises and retreats that you could attend. And then also um, interpersonal tools that you could use. Cool. Very cool. So given that you've been doing this for a long time and you've seen a lot of women come through the programs, what are some of the cool stories that you've seen and how have you changed lives from doing this and how does that feel? Oh man. I mean, it's so funny when you said you've done this for a while, I'm like, have I, I don't know, five years doesn't seem long (laughs) enough. (laughs) I feel like we're just getting started, but, um, yeah, I mean, some of the most memorable stories really range. Um, I think one of one of my favorites um, that happened not too long ago. So one of the memories that I think stick out to me the most is um, pre-COVID-19, and it was during our Emerging Leaders Camp, which is a program that we do every summer for young students that are getting ready for high school. And this program for us is all around exactly like what the name entails. It's all about fostering emerging leaders within a community. And part of the camp is after the four weeks, we invite all of the students that take part, all of the different teachers that we partner with that support with the camp process, the camp counselors, but most importantly, we invite the students' parents. And it becomes like this open town hall where the students get to share what were their favorite memories, what were their takeaways, et cetera. And this young gal stood up um, and she was one of the last students to share. And she was was one of the vocal students that we've had throughout the entire um, camp that summer. And so we were all kind of expecting her to give some kind of joke or a punchline. She kind of always put on that class clown personality. And to all of our surprise, she stood up and she said, I realize that I'm a bully and that I'm not always nice to people. And it was so like crazy, I guess, to like sit there, one, as like a staff member, right? Like from inner shoes, but along with the other camp counselors, the camp director, all of the adults in the room that have seen this girl throughout the last four weeks and then see her openly share to the public, like with her parents in the room, that she realized that she can be mean to other students and that that's not very nice. And that for me was like a really big memorable moment. And I think a win for us as a team to see one, the ripple effect. I think that's possible when we start at a young age, right? This level of discernment and capacity building um, that is in this safe container of exploration. Because I think that's really what Inner Shoes is about. It's this safe playground for you to explore. Well, what would you do if you were 1% more courageous? Um, So that for me definitely sticks out. Yeah, that's awesome. I think it's so cool and powerful that you guys are directly changing so many lives and nonprofits are a really cool platform to do that from because I think that's the point, right? You know, your point is to change lives. It's not necessarily to make money, though that is an important way to stay sustainable, right? But um, just more of like a business side, what do you think of about like a nonprofit versus like for-profit and how to have an impact on the world? Because I know you worked with Ashoka too, which is all about social entrepreneurship and and business and stuff? Oh, man. I mean, I could talk about this for days. (laughs) Um, I think, you know, I think definitely the diff. I I think business in general is a huge, for me, I'm a huge advocate for business really altering the, the makeup of society. Like for me, I think business is an amazing change agent that has the capacity to truly transform life um, and the way that we interact with one another. And um, in terms of like nonprofit versus for-profit or B Corporation versus, you know, what have you, 
I think they all have obviously a validity and a place in society. I, I will say if there's anyone that is in the nonprofit sector or is looking to get into the nonprofit space, business in general is not for the faint hearted, but especially being in a nonprofit, hmm. it is, it's one thing to be a startup. It's a whole other ballgame to be a startup nonprofit. Like you, when you talk about agility and lean resources and being nimble and grassroots, like that is as ground level as it gets. Yeah. Um, but I think too, you know, there's a reason why we do have nonprofits and for-profits and, and all of these different um, designations because they all have a place in society. Um, I also think too, you know, I've been fortunate enough to be in different sectors where I have been able to be in the corporate side as well as the higher education space and, and teaching at Claremont McKenna, for example, and all of these different hats. And I do think um, overall, when it comes to business in general and the different models, I think the number one important thing, if you are looking at, at impact, is what's the community that you're really looking to hmm. impact? Because that will also shift and change your model of change. Yeah, that's that's smart. I've never thought about it like that, but it makes a lot of sense. Where's the demand and where's the impact? And then how can you connect the two most efficiently? Yeah. Okay. So one of the things that I want to get into a little bit more is as a mostly white man who's working on a podcast about authenticity, I've talked to some friends about how white men and men in general have kind of more access to a quote unquote authentic life because there are fewer barriers to entry just for, for people who have like it's, it's harder for women and minorities, I think, to live an authentic life sometimes. So what has been your experience working with women and minorities and being um, the daughter of immigrants yourself? And how do you think that we can help inspire and help uh, actually just give the skills to women and minorities to live this authentic life? And, and do you even think there is such a substantial difference? Yeah, no, I think that's a great point uh, to bring up. Um... And, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is like kudos to you, Phelan, right, for, for acknowledging like, yeah, I'm a white male that is hosting this podcast around authenticity. Um, what I will say is, I think, yes, right, like if we look at research, statistics, society, it is very apparent that there are clearly um, different things that are available to one, men and women, and then even more so women of color. And I think that the women that we've worked with, that's definitely been apparent, right? Anything from the wage gap to opportunities to you name it. Um, and I think what's also important, however, is to not, I think it can get really easy to get pigeonholed into this idea of in order for us to support and continue to empower women and women of color, we must simply keep talking about women and women of color. I think mm. it's really important to recognize, well, what does it look like for an entire society as yeah. allies, right? Like I have to also be able to engage with you, Phelan, right? Who is an ally, who um, is also grappling with, with a different set of questions. Cause I, I think part of the, what's really important that's gonna push change forward is how can we start to view things as we're just people, right? And, right. and how, how do we move the needle forward in that sense? Granted, that's a very um, ambitious place to stand, right? Well, can't we just all get along and can't we just all view ourselves as people? But I do think that that is an underlying mindset that is going to be important. Um, and I think we're, we're getting a little bit closer there. I think as our generation, you know, Generation Z, Millennials, Generation Alpha gets raised with more societal and cultural examples of equality or gender equity, 
that becomes a little bit more possible. Um, and I think it's also important to say, you know, just because you are a white male with a level of access in your life, some may even say privilege, I don't think it's also fair to discredit your own experience either, right? I think, because right. that almost just leads into this vicious cycle of, well, here we go again, type of um, conversation. Yeah. So I don't know, it, it's a dance, right? There's a reason why it's it's a systemic issue that so many people are trying to solve and approach at the same time. But I think at least for inner shoes, yes, we focus on young girls and women, but we also at the heart of things focus on the universality of fear and cool. like male, female, however you designate yourself. You can't be, you can't tell me you've never been afraid of something. Um, and it's that universality of fear that lends to a universal opportunity to be courageous. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, uh, what you're saying about the universal aspect of it and no otherizing is really powerful. I think it's, it's important to, you know, bring people who have less opportunity up, but that's always true, right? And then making sure that that men know what it's like and have empathy for the experience of, of women and, and people of color and, and all of that. So I think it would be interesting to, for In My Shoes to do like workshops about how young boys can learn what it's like to be a young woman and, and or like bringing people together and, and growing empathy. That could be a really cool journey to take. Because I think what you're saying is true. Like a lot of the same mindsets apply to all different people, right? Like how can I be 1% more courageous? How can I deal with my fear? That's not really something that's exclusive to any denomination of person, but the environmental factors that are the, the baseline for where people start at, I think are the different part. So yeah, it's a tough question. Um, thanks for your answer. Yeah, of course. So I want to read quickly your philosophy because I think it's awesome. So I'm just going to go for that. Um, so In Her Shoes is a journey, not a destination. In Her Shoes is a catalyst for courage. Our work happens in split-second decisions, in-between moments, and uncomfortable situations that are all opportunities to take action. Our work is about expanding our capacity to be courageous, not just for the big stuff, but for the daily choices that ultimately make up our lives. Being In Her Shoes is best... Is No, oh my gosh. Being In Her Shoes is being your best future self today. She is curious and daring, soft yet fierce, super and human. She is powerful, real, driven, and wants to make a difference. She is always searching and ever eager to grow. She is courageous. So I think that's awesome and really well put together. I think it's so cool to focus on being courageous and being successful as a journey, as opposed to a definition or destination, because so many people are looking at success and as courage as like, once I do X or Y, then it's, then I'll be the best version of myself, right? Like then I'll get there. And I think it's more like a mindset. So can you just talk to that journey that you've had and how you kind of help instill that in people? Yeah, you know, I think for me, it would be really difficult to um, create inner shoes, let alone have that be our philosophy if I personally didn't experience that in my own life, right? And, you know, law school being one prime example of, okay, I reached a destination. I should be happy, but I'm not. So what am I supposed to do? And so I think, you know, part of the premise and again, like the heart and heartbeat of inner shoes is focusing on this journey, because let's be real, it is. And I can't, for me personally, I can't tell you how many times I've approached this final finish line, and then it's never a final finish line. There's always something more better and different to be wanted. And so I think for us, it's 
it's been um, really exciting to emphasize that it is a journey. And I think personally for me, it's really been about enjoying the process. Um, I don't know if it's just um, the type of person I am or just the way that I grew up, but I've always been um, someone that's fond of processes and just like the slow but steady. Um, but interestingly enough, I've also been very impatient growing up too. I've always been this kid that wanted to get to that next thing always. And so I think part of being able to instill that through our curriculum and through our programs is really meeting people where they're at, right? I think like part of the the, the easy way to misstep is we we picture this like bright future that looks and feels and sounds a certain way. And then when something deviates from that, it immediately discredits what that could look like. Um, and I think that's a really dangerous path to go down, especially in the world that we live in today, especially now, like in the middle of this global pandemic, nothing is certain. And so I think part of, again, like part of our philosophy is how do you deal with a uncertain present, but still create with a level of courage and enthusiasm and possibility and hope for an uncertain future at the same time. Um, so yeah, I think it's learning to, again, be self-aware and enjoying the process. And honestly, I think a lot of it too is having the guts to acknowledge like where you really are with yourself um, and why do you want the things that you say you want? Yeah, that's super wise. One thing that you said in there, uh, which I'm just going to selfishly ask about is meeting people where they are. And one of my friends just said to me the other day that I need to work on meeting people where they are because I think I see potential in people and I want them to get there. And I've gotten pretty good at being like, this is what you need to work on, right? And to get to where I think you should be given what you could do. And then that versus just having the empathy and the compassion to be like, I love you for where you're at right now. And I'm going to support you regardless of where you want to go in the future. And that's kind of a journey that I'm walking right now and trying to figure out. So what advice would you give to me and other people who are trying to figure out how to do that? Yeah, no, I think that's great. Also kudos to your friend for calling you out on that. Uh, they <laughs> yeah, clearly awesome. care about you. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, the first thing I would say is, um, look, wherever you're at, Aylin, is like great. Like the fact that you can even recognize, hey, I have this tendency to like meet someone or like be with someone in this space. And then there's this possibility or potential, right? I think a lot of people too get really wrapped up in pot the potential of something. And then we discredit th the person that's actually in front of us. Um, and so I think on one end, it's like, it's awesome that you even have that ability to see possibility in someone because that's not an everyday thing. So kudos to you there. Um, and then really what I'd say is meeting people where they're at is, you know, I think being able to hold space for both of you simultaneously and what that, what that means and what that looks like is you can acknowledge that you can see this grand future for someone and you can hold that for yourself, but that's also not your right to impart that onto that other person, right? Like you, you rob them of even their own growth and who's to even say that they can't surpass that vision that you have for them anyways. So I think possibility is also this very interesting fluid dance where it's, it can be this great thing to aspire to, but can also be a cap on what's possible at the same time. Um, and so I think when you actually interact with this person and when it comes to meeting this person where they're at, I think asking questions is always one thing that we always encourage our community to prompt 
because when you ask a question, it actually opens up a space of curiosity versus a finite, I know how this is going to go. And I think it's when we get wrapped up in, I know how this is going to go, we completely eliminate a world of possibility that could be beyond what we even think is even currently amazing. So I'd, I'd ask your friend, like, you know, wow, like, can you, like, what do you mean by that? Or tell me more, or what is it that you want? I think there's, there's so much room to play there. Um, and I think when you meet someone where they're at, a really great way to do that is by first sharing where you're at too. Like really, like I'd invite you to be authentic and vulnerable with this person and what that would look like for your guys' relationship. Yeah, cool. The first thing I noticed when you started answering that question is you were like, I love that you are like even aware of where you're at right now. And I was like, wow, you're just immediately meeting me where I'm at. So nicely done. <laughs> um, We're just doing it live. That's great. Yeah, right. It's just like if anyone wants to know, just watch what just happened. Just watch what happened. Yeah, that's super true. I think questions are really powerful. And as someone who you're basically a coach for a lot of people, right? And you're creating like systematized coaching for a lot of young women and older women. Um, and I think I've heard and seen that the best coaches and the best mentors and people who are helping people be their best selves almost never say like, this is what is correct. And this is what you should do. It's like, what do you think you should do? And one of my favorite mentors, um, I don't know if you know, Bill Maines from, from I do. yeah. So Bill's awesome. And every time I go sit down with him, he never tells me what I should do. He always says like, well, what do you want? And then I have to really think about it. And it's so common to just have those experiences where, the best answer and the, is to just ask a question back and reflect a person's truest self back towards them. And so that's a really cool skill to build. Um, transitioning that into authenticity, what does authenticity look like for you living your own life? And then what do you think it, it means more generally? And how do you know you're living an authentic life? Oh, man. I mean, this is an ever, <laughs> I feel like this is a question I'm constantly trying to, to figure out. Um, for me personally, authenticity at this point in my life, right? And this point in my journey as an entrepreneur, as a young woman myself, um, it looks like the things that I think and what I say and what I do are all like in alignment. Like that for me is being authentic. Um, I think also authenticity for me is, um, it's not really a thing to do, but it's all around a state of being. And so that for me is it, since it is a state of being, it's very fluid. And like being authentic with my mom and dad is probably going to look a little different than being authentic with, you know, my introverted self as I'm in quarantine right now. I think it's, I give off the same, you know, person and the, the things that I value and the type of personality that I'd give off would probably be the same, but the way that I'd express those things would be different. Um, so yeah, that for me is, is authenticity. I think in a grander scale, it looks like, you know, in colloquial terms, I think it's being real, right? I also think there's a big difference between being honest and being authentic. I think being authentic really moves conversations forward. Whereas I think being honest, sometimes it's being blunt to the point where it offends people <laughs> and it doesn't move anything forward. Yeah, I've had to learn that one. <laughs> yeah. Right. We all have. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think in broad terms, authenticity is usually like when people say, you know, are they being real? Are you being real with me? Is that genuine? Um, and I think in terms of um, supporting people, I think, is that what you asked? Like in, in being authentic? 
yeah, like how do you know you're living life authentically? But supporting other people is awesome too. Yeah. So in terms of, I guess, knowing that I'm living an authentic life, I have this like practice where I do like check-ins with myself. And in this, in this current period of my life, I'm actually exploring what does it look like to create capacity building for intuition? Well, that's awesome. Yeah. Like what is it when we say things like listen to your gut or what is your intuition telling you? What does that really mean? What does that really look like? And can you build that up like a muscle, like courage? So that's currently what we're experimenting with, but I would know I'm living an authentic life when I have this experience, like internally for my own compass, that what I'm saying, what I'm doing, who I'm surrounding myself with, um, what I'm thinking is all in alignment. And I think all of that usually for me means that I'm working towards like my highest self pretty much. Yeah. Um, which can sound very woo woo, right? Like, what does that mean? Um, but yeah, I would say that's how I'd know. And so, same thing, same sentiments in terms of supporting people to also be their authentic selves too. Cool. That daily practice or, or practice that you do, what does that look like? Is it journaling? Is it meditating? Is it listening to your, because I think for me, like I've kind of learned to notice the patterns in my body that I can watch. Like sometimes my gut will just be like no no don't do that or I'll get headaches if I'm following the wrong path or sometimes just journaling I'll figure something out about myself or having a conversation so what does that practice look like for you yeah that's great for me it definitely looks like journaling I am a huge like English nerd so reading and writing for me is like the bee's knees I love that I jam out on that all the time um I'm also an I usually say I'm an introvert living an extrovert's life just by virtue of the career that I have. But I say that because a lot of personal time where I'm just alone, whether it's going for a walk um, or just having designated time where I'm alone with no technology and I'm literally just kind of like being with myself. Sometimes I'll meditate. Sometimes I'm literally just staring at the wall because (laughs) my mind is just like a blur. Um, So yeah, I think different practices of building that authentic self and honestly I also ask myself this question of is this really what I want that's become something that has immediately it's like a muscle and a reflex that's come up for me I think since choosing to not go to law school or I'll ask myself in situations before a client meeting before a presentation is this something that I want is this really something that is reflective of who I am Hmm, awesome yeah one of my last guests at the end of this question said, am I walking towards something or walking away from something in this action? And I think that that aligns up pretty well with what you just said. Yeah. Yeah. I want to get into also more of how, just to dig in again, how you're building the capacity for intuition, because I think that's fascinating. And intuition is such a powerful tool that we have as humans that's so underused. And just to finish that question, I think that having, it's shocking to me how many people who are successful spend their time sometimes doing nothing. And like you said, just like staring at the wall because that space for openness and emptiness is where the truth really comes out of a person. And I think so many people are in this go, go, go part of life where they're just distracting themselves from who they are and the feelings that they're having. And so to build an intuition, I would imagine you have to escape those distractions. So yeah, tell us more about that. Yeah. I'm just going to completely like full disclosure. I'm not an expert in this. I'm definitely still dabbling in in my own. Yeah. yeah, Like in my own process and what my discoveries have been. Um, But where I've arrived at is 
intuition for me really begins on a very fundamental level of, for me, a level of personal integrity. So when I talk about authenticity, right, of like my mind, my thoughts, my feelings, what I'm doing is all like in alignment. And that for me is a, is a way of being authentic. That's how I know I'm being authentic. Um, that for me is also incongruency to living a life that is an integrity, right? Because it's all in alignment. And so for me, what I'm like speculating, and I don't think this is like neuroscience at all, um, but I have it that it's really hard to build like intuition in your relationship with your gut or that space is very impossible or nearly impossible to do if you don't trust yourself. And if you, so then it brings me to this question of, so then how do you practice trusting yourself, right? We, we fundamentally always talk about, do I trust this person or do I trust that going the way that they said it was going to happen? But do we ever take time to evaluate our relationships with ourselves? And can we trust what we even say? So for example, I'm going to say I'm going to work out every morning at 8 a.m. And then you don't work out every morning at 8 a.m. Right. You're out of integrity with yourself. You're out of integrity with yourself. You just said that you're going to work out every day and then now you're not. And then we get baffled or confused. And, you know, that's one, again, like minute example, but again, pulling it to your shoes, it's, it's the little stuff that ends up building up to the really big stuff. Right. So in, in practice or in if we're being hypothetical here, how is me not following through with what I said of being able to work out at 8 a.m. How is that a not how is that not directly correlated with me delivering on a huge grant that's gonna impact thousands of girls that we work with? Right. Like it's still the conversation of being in, in integrity and being able to trust my own word about something. So I think in that sense, when I talk about or exploring for myself, okay, building up my own intuition, I've really been honing in on what are the things that I'm not following through with in my life. And why am I not following through with it? Am I just saying I'm going to work out at 8 a.m. because that's what I think I should be doing? Or is there something else going on there? Or is it just a matter of, well, 8 a.m. actually doesn't work and maybe it could be 10 a.m. instead. So it's essentially like the byline would be, I think intuition is a direct correlation with your word and being able to practice that muscle of trusting yourself. Because it's pointless to listen to intuition if you're not even going to trust it, whatever it says. to you. Yeah, that is so smart. I don't think I've ever heard anyone describe that as well as you just did. So excellent job. Well, I mean, don't take me for it. Uh, we yeah. can, don't know if it's valid. <laughs> no, it seems super true. I think that like developing the muscle for intuition probably comes from doing intuition intentionally, right? Like digging into your actions and being like, why am I not working out at 8am? And then where does that align with my purpose for myself and my life? And then how can I be more in integrity with my purpose by working out at 10am? Because that, you know, it just, it makes a lot of sense. And then after we've done that a lot of times and learn to trust ourselves because we have more integrity, then we can hear our intuition better because it'll be stronger. It's just, it all fits. So well said. Yeah. What would you say to people who are having trouble right now during this like outbreak of Corona who are stuck inside and bored and not really like some people are just super anxious and alone right now and, and feeling that like that loneliness. So I think you're a great example of someone who in the, the isolation of life and as your introvert self, you work on a lot of things, um, but not everyone feels as comfortable doing that. So what would you say to that? Oof. 
Um, well, if you're listening, I would say <laughs> to our point earlier, it's perfectly fine <laughs> wherever you're at. You awesome. know, yeah. yesterday um, I was in complete like disarray. I was just like restless. Like I felt it was a really bad day for me in quarantine. And then today I was a little bit better. And so I say that because no day is going to be the same. Um, and I'd also say this is not a time where everyone is just suddenly working remotely, right? Like the reality is we're going through a global pandemic that is quite traumatizing for a lot of people and you're trying to work from home. And I think that's a really big distinction because I think there's a lot of people, you know, through social media or whatnot, that is, there's like two spectrums where it's like, I need to be productive. I have to be doing something. This is like, I need to be able to learn a new language after this or like cook X amount of recipes. And there's that urge, right, to constantly be busy and, and work towards something. And then there are also times where it's like, I, it's a breakthrough if I get out of bed today. Um, and so, I'd say wherever you're at is perfect. There's absolutely nothing wrong with any kind of thought or feeling or emotion that you're having or not having. Um, but I would invite people to take this time to really look at if there is something bothering you, why is that? Like if, if being so still is problematic for you and makes you uncomfortable, what is that all about? Why is that? Um, or if you're on the other side of the spectrum, why do we have this desire to, to fill space um, and not to necessarily do anything with it? I think that's part of the what induces anxiety, right, is the space of the unknown. And I think humans are so uh, results driven, like we need to see a tangible thing that we're working towards. And this is definitely a time where that's not necessary. That's sometimes a luxury. Like we're, we're literally in this space of, of being in pause. Um, and then the last thing I'd say is if there's anyone that's contemplating what the future looks like, I know that's a lot of the students that I work with that are either in high school or in college or, to be frank, people who have been laid off or furloughed. Um, we're trying to build this uncertain future based off of uncertain times. And so I'd say um, two things. One would be a great practice to think about would be creating a bucket list, but also a reverse bucket list. And what that means is creating a bucket list of things that you're super excited to do again, right? For me, I literally wrote down, I can't wait to hear, can I get you started with appetizers and drinks? Like I'm excited for the day when I get to hear that. <laughs> um, so it could be anything as small as that to like, I can't wait to take that dream trip to Europe or what have you. Um, and then create a reverse bucket list of what are the great things that you've already done, right? Like where have you traveled to? Who are the friends that you've been able to connect with? What internship have you gotten or job? Um, so that's one thing, because I think that supports your brain in grasping the reality while also staying hopeful for an uncertain future. That's um, awesome. And then the second thing I'd say would be when navigating uncertainty, sometimes, again, we want finite things. Like, I want to make X amount of money. I want to live in this city with these kinds of roommates. I want to blah, blah, blah. And it's really hard to navigate uncertainty in the midst of uncertainty. So what I'd recommend and, and invite people to do is start with what do you want to feel and what do you want to experience in the future? So you may not know what job you're going to land at or how much income you're going to make, but I challenge you to think about, well, what do you want to feel when you wake up in the morning? Um, how much do you think would be 
comfortable for you to be able to treat yourself on a weekend excursion. Just like think about experiences and feelings because emotions are a huge motivator and they're actually the number one motivator for people. Hmm. Yeah, here I am just thinking through the answers to those questions for yeah. myself and I'm like lost in thought. <laughs> yeah, right. So that's what, I'd, that's what I'd say. That's what I'd recommend for anyone listening to this, um, especially during this time. Nice. Those are great answers and I think a perfect place to leave this uh, with people. So Jude, thank you so much for coming on. This was an amazing conversation. I learned a lot um, and I hope you had fun. I did. Thank you so much for what you're doing, Phelan, and, and best of luck to everyone out there who's listening. I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Authentic Path podcast with Jude Martinez. Again, this is just like one of my favorite episodes because she so specifically outlined so many useful ways that I can live a better life by being more in integrity with myself and taking those moments to really look and ask myself, is this something I want or is this not something I want? I recorded this episode with her about two weeks ago. And since those two weeks have passed, I've actually changed a lot of things in my daily life that I didn't even realize were because of this podcast. But now that I'm recording it and editing it again, I realized are because of this podcast. So I hope that the same thing happens to you and that this brings you a lot of impact for your own personal life. Yeah. Um, remember, today is a great day to be alive. It's a great day to be yourself and be authentic in the world. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Thanks so much for listening. This is Phelan on the Authentic Path Podcast. See you next time. Thank you.